Welcome back to the Charlotte Angel Connection, the Charlotte area podcast linking entrepreneurs, investors, and the broader Charlotte community. As you know, our goal here is to interview the individuals who are building, shaping, and influencing entrepreneurship in the Charlotte region so you can stay invested in Charlotte's growth. Today, really excited to deliver this podcast to you. We've got Andrew Asher from Lucid Drone Technologies. Many of y'all know, probably know of or about Andrew and or Lucid Drone Technologies. He started it as a junior at Davidson College and has grown it ever since. He's grown it really as a result of curiosity and passion and grit. And we talk about all of that and the evolution of, of that and, and obviously the evolution of the company over the course of the last four or five years and how he grew it during the pandemic, what he had to do, what he's done since, how the business sits now, um, how they've gotten to 20 employees and the the reality of, of where they are moving to in the future. So Andrew does a, a really nice job of, of intertwining some stories into this podcast that I think are are impactful and they're, and they're powerful. And, and I think you're really going to enjoy listening to him and the successes that he's had, as well as the challenges that he's had to go to in order to get through to him. So really good podcast and certainly hope you enjoy learning about his story and, and, and how he's gotten to the point where they are now and where that is going to lead them to as they continue to march forward. So hope you enjoy another edition of the Charlotte Angel Connection. Andrew, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today, man. I'm really excited to uh, to dive into this conversation. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. So, um, as you know, we like to get started off with our little softball question here, which is the the 30, 60, 90 second commercial of who Andrew and Lucid Drone Technologies is or are. Sure. So I'll be a bit more brief on who I am and maybe spend more time on Lucid. The number one thing to know about me is I'm a nerd. I'm insatiably curious. I love to read. I love to learn. There's no other way to put it. Um, in terms of who Lucid is, geez, I think the best way to describe us is we're a robotics company, and we're focused on building responsible robotic platforms that can do labor-intensive tasks. And our first product is a drone that can clean buildings. So anything from washing windows to roofs and nearly every surface in between. We're a technology provider to these service companies, allowing them to do more jobs in less time, but above all with less liability, because instead of putting their workers above ground on things like lifts, ladders, and scaffolds, now they can relocate those workers to the ground to use our technology and then do the same work in a fraction of the time. Um, and business is going well doing that right now, right? It is going well. The thing we hear often is, and this is true in many service industries, we're facing critical labor shortages because there aren't enough people that want to do these dull, dirty, and dangerous jobs. And that creates a big opportunity for technology to be introduced. When you think about the cleaning space, commercial real estate's worth over $30 trillion globally. It's massive. Each day, we're building more and more buildings. They're getting bigger and bigger, so harder to maintain. Yet at the same time, we've got less and less people willing to do the work. And the question is, how do we solve that growing divide? And we're happy to toss a lifeline to those types of companies. That's awesome. So let's um, let's hop into the Wayback Machine for a little while, um, if you don't <laughs> mind, Andrew. Um, sure. Company was not started yesterday. Um, so... 
give us a, a little sense of when it was started. What was the what was the aha moment or what was the light bulb moment that allowed it to to uh, kind of come to life, so to speak? Sure. So in ways, I think we're at times a cliche startup because the journey began in college. I was a junior at Davidson College. And I think the unique part of our story is I majored in economics and Spanish. It's a liberal arts school, right? And I founded a robotics company. And I'll fill in the gaps on how that all happened in a bit. But we started from a place of just genuine, like, humanitarian concern. We saw these window washers hanging off the side of a building on a swing stage that got caught up in the wind. You see it start slamming against the side of the building. And I think two really distinct thoughts occurred in that moment. These guys are up there white knuckling the rails, hanging on for dear life. And the first thought was one of gratitude. Thank God I'm not up there. And then the second thought was how could we leverage technology to make this safer, to make this more efficient? And I just became really obsessed with wanting to solve that problem and really excited by the opportunity because I saw that if we could get this first application right and really focus on building a modular and versatile robotic platform, we could then continue to put different top hats on it over years to solve for other market needs. So today it's cleaning, but we've done proof of concept tests with sealants, painting, delivery, agriculture. And the list goes on, as I think the common startup wisdom goes, it's best to be very focused early on, which is where we are. But we also understand the opportunity for our technology and the platform we've built could address several multi-billion dollar markets at scale. That's awesome. So uh, you see the danger of a couple of folks up on a building um, kind of being blown around in the wind. You're a junior in college, um, clearly studying mechanical engineering um, and a couple other things to go along with it. And you realize that you have the skill set to solve that problem. Um, no, uh, all kidding aside. So you're studying economics and Spanish, right? What's the... Correct. All right, so you're going to solve the problem. How do you decide that you're going to solve it with drones? And then how do you figure out the, the reality that there's a different type of software that needs to go with it? And then all of the other, right? How do you start to, how do you start to figure out all of those issues as you go along, Andrew? Yeah. So this is a long-winded answer. You'll have to bear with me. I got you. We got 50 minutes. We're in good shape. Fantastic. Um. Early on, I always viewed things through the lens of what's the path of least resistance, just to prove, is this even worth investing more time, energy, money into? So I always ask, like, how can I go from zero to one? Like, what do I need to prove out early on? And the first thing was, okay, how exactly could I clean a building with technology? So I did a general study of robotic solutions that were out there. Anything from devices that could adhere to the wall and crawl alongside them, all the way to drones that could fly independently of the buildings. I quickly settled on drones because of their versatility and also just where the technology was going. With other robotic methods that say like adhere to the wall, they're a lot more limited in scope and they're not as efficient. And you've got a lot of irregular architecture, right? There are very few buildings these days that are just like a perfectly flat line down the side. And a drone's great because I can easily maneuver up and down, left to right, without having to worry as much about those irregularities. 
So once I settled on that, the next step was, well, how are you going to get a drone to spray liquid solution on a building? So I was starting to learn a lot about the cleaning industry, anything from pressure washers to agricultural pumps I began looking at. And then I also began looking at drones themselves. And again, path of least resistance. I said, I shouldn't build the drone from the ground up. Let me go to DJI, the largest drone company in the world, get one of their bigger models off the shelf and try to build the hardware and software around it. So quickly I learned that drone cleaning could work. I was able to couple this off-the-shelf drone with some off-the-shelf cleaning systems and spray water on a building. But that was about it. I hadn't yet figured out how to clean. And more importantly, the, the drone itself was lacking. Like most drones today are built to carry a fixed payload like a camera, right? So whether they're five feet off the ground or 50 feet off the ground, it weighs the same. All of a sudden, I'm attaching a hose to it. Five feet of hose versus 50 feet of hose is a big difference. So I recognized that the technology I was using off the shelf wasn't actually purpose-built for what I wanted it to do. And it also couldn't fly in the environments I wanted, like in close proximity to buildings. So pretty quickly I realized, okay, yeah, this drone cleaning thing could really work, but I need to build the technology from the ground up. And around that time, I was uh, we had just won the venture fund competition at Davidson. We applied to a couple accelerators. We we're getting some early investor interest. But the one, let's call it re reoccurring theme was, hey, we don't really like this as a side project. And in their defense, I was playing a D1 sport, uh, doing a double major, working three part-time jobs, and trying to found a tech company. So time was a little bit limited in those days. But again, my disclaimer on myself is I'm a nerd. I ended up graduating after my junior year just to focus on building Lucid full-time. And that's when I realized I needed to build the drone from scratch to really customize the solution. And what that looked like was me living in this, let's call it attic above a garage for months, where I taught myself anything from mechanical, electrical, to software engineering to build our earliest version of the cleaning drone. Um, I, I joke... I would make for a good criminal nowadays because I think I burned off my fingertips learning to solder as well during that time period. And the story that I think people who know us well like to share from those days is I, I've got a couple screws loose. I was so committed to this early on. Um, we didn't have a lot of money back then. And I used to fast for days, literally days, like 120 hours at a time, just to skip meals, save money, that I could then afford to buy drone parts to prove out what we're doing. And a couple months later, I had built a drone that could lift twice the payload of the one we bought off the shelf. It was 10% of the cost of the one we bought off the shelf. And I'd done some basic programming where I could actually press a button on a controller and this drone could fly along the side of the building and more or less clean for itself. And with that story and that technology, we got into Y Combinator, which was a really good platform for us to continue growing, make some early hires. And now we've got a product team here that is just brilliant beyond belief. That's really pushed us forward from that point. So um, a couple questions kind of to follow up on that really quick and kind of quick one hitter type questions. How many folks do you have on the team now? We're about 20. You're 20 strong. Mm -hmm. so, um, would you recommend fasting to other founders? <laughs> oh. Um, 
Yes and no. I, truthfully, there are a lot of things I learned about myself through the experience. And it, one of them was just building up this internal grit factor. It, I'm sure we've all got that friend who, if they miss breakfast or lunch, they're just cranky to be around, right? Like we all know that person who gets really irritable if they don't eat too often. And now if I get stuck in a meeting that goes too long, or I've got a hectic day of travel, I could go from one thing to another and go without food and like still function at a fairly reasonable level. So I think it was um, just something that built up kind of my internal fortitude of, yeah, I can do hard things. And I think the central tenant of successful startups is you just have to do a lot of hard things and keep solving one challenge after another. So grit is certainly, I, I think, a crucial hallmark of many great startup companies. Um. So uh, we won't get tied on this, but I've done fasting myself. So I've done five day fast yeah. in, in the past. Right. And one of the things that you read about and some people experience and, but not everybody does is like on the fourth and fifth day of the fast, you kind of hit this mental clarity, right. Um, mm -hmm. Where you become super, almost like hyper-focused in, um, in your approach. And it's kind of this um, cool little thing towards the end of the fast. At what you point? You need less sleep usually, too. Yes, true, very true. Um, so at what point along? So you've done Y or you're hitting into Y Combinator. Um, sure. You're starting to build these things out on your own. At what point in the startup process did you start to hit kind of like that similar amount of clarity that you hit in those couple of days of a fast? Right. At what point did it's like, man, I, I know where we're going. I know what we need to do. I really know what's next. Um, was that um, was that back then or was that um, next week or what went along the path? Was it right? So it, it, truthfully, I think it's been much more recently than that. I think it's been within the last couple months. Um, we've had a roller coaster journey with a global pandemic thrown in there where we probably lost a year or so of development where people weren't really leaving their homes and we pivoted to a disinfecting drone. Great experience, got to fly a drone inside NFL and NBA stadiums, things like that. Unforgettable memories with really cool customers too. But it also, you know, it was our way to stay alive during a difficult time. And now we're coming up on about 20 months of the cleaning drone being in the market with third-party companies. And the success stories we're hearing are just jaw-dropping. We've heard multiple times of a customer going out and doing a job and making five figures for themselves in the matter of a day of work. So the ROI is staggering. And now we're starting to get a lot more commercial adoption too with big partnerships and these larger and larger companies being interested. But I've seen with each incremental step of let's call it success of the business, everything gets to go a little bit faster. You get more and more momentum. You get this flywheel effect going. You know, the, the types of hires we're bringing on, they're more and more experienced and knowledgeable and they level us up in ways we couldn't even think about. Um, like one person we brought on earlier this year, Tom, he's our VP of engineering and he's built automated machinery for companies ranging from Black & Decker to Rolls-Royce. But the headline I always love to give is he's been building robots longer than I've been alive. So to have somebody like that on our team, pushing our product forward and getting to surround ourselves with that type of talent, I, I kind of feel like I'm in that day four clarity of a fast. 
because we're seeing opportunities in front of us that just weren't present if we rewind the clock a year or two. From a growth leadership perspective, right? So you're what, four years out of school now, Andrew? Mm -hmm. So, and he's been out of school for a few more days than that. Um, you know, how do you, um, how do you continue to like um, to lead him and put how, how have you developed into that leader that can um, propel him forward? Yeah. So the, the fortunate thing for me and my background is I was a very competitive athlete all throughout college. And I draw a lot of parallels between those experiences and business and getting the opportunity to, you know, be a leader on so many teams throughout my years. It was something that, I wasn't having to learn from scratch when I entered the business world, but truthfully, I'm, I'd say the two central tenets of my leadership style, and I'm sure if you interviewed those around me, they'd probably echo it too, is one, I like to lead by example. So I, I think there's this common saying, people are like, oh, like I like to work smart and not hard, and that gets thrown around way too much. I'm the type of person that likes to work smart and hard. And I'm kind of the, the first one in, last one I out type of mentality. I mean, if there's ever a really difficult task that needs to get done, I never shy away from it. We recently had to polish our warehouse floors, which was like operating this 800 pound floor grinder machine. And I'm here at 2 a.m. in the morning with a couple other guys on the team doing it because that's that's just who I am. But the the other core tenant to is just compassion. I've always viewed compassion as probably the most important skill set you could develop in life because it lets you build bridges and relationships. So I work to really get to know my team, to understand what motivates them, what drives them. And I think with those two, what they then see me as is a leader who's willing to do whatever it takes, even if it's fasting for days at a time just to prove something out or show up at 2 a.m. to polish the floors. I'm going to do it, but I'm also going to be there when they're frustrated on a project or they've hit a roadblock. And I think just being genuinely curious, again, because I'm a nerd, is something that's helped me in that sense. You were a defensive end, weren't you? <laughs> no, I was a left-handed pitcher. Okay. So yeah. I was close. So um, how long did you play? Oh, gosh. I started when I was... Five organized baseball, but backyard wiffle ball with my brother and cousin starting at three, I think. So it was a, a good run. All the way through high school? All the way through college. All the way through. So you played at Davidson. Mm -hmm. So that's awesome. We had some good memories. Out. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, good stuff. Um, so you recently signed on a, um, a nice new contract, right? So we were talking about it before we got on the show. So and you mentioned it a few minutes ago that you're starting to see traction with some of those bigger type companies. Yeah. Um, so first of all, you let us know who you signed on with, so I don't have to spoil it. Sure. So we just launched a partnership with Sunbelt Rentals. Um, so Sunbelt Rentals, big company, well-known, um, probably a, a very nice prospect and now partnership slash client with you you throw them up on the board as a, you know, as a prospect or potential client or whatever it is. And you say, you know, this is how it's going to go or whatever. And now you can check that 
box off the list, right? Like, how does it, yeah. um, how did the process go? Like, um, how did the introduction, uh, was it cold call? Just, you know, walk us through how, how you got to that point in time. Okay. It's a great story and it's okay. a great question. So, uh, it goes back to one of my beliefs about startups, which is you need to find a way to increase your surface area of luck, which often means like putting yourself out there and taking risks. And for us, the Sunbelt relationship actually traces all the way back to the decision to try to find a way to stay alive during this pandemic and take our core technology and build a disinfecting drone. That then led us to get a contract with Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And they had a really big press release around this. And from that press release, in the first 24 hours, I think it was 226 million clicks on the various press release outlets. So just unbelievable coverage. And we were you know, swimming in demand during that time. And one of the leads that came out of that was actually Sunbelt. They reached out through our contact um, form on the website. And we still have the cleaning drone on the website. And that's what they were interested in. They're like, hey, we want to learn more about this cleaning drone. So we had a couple back and forths. Uh, turns out their headquarters maybe about 40 minutes away from ours, pretty easy drive. And we set up a demo a couple months later and we're driving down in our truck, like getting ready to do this demo with them. And I'm thinking, uh, this is probably gonna be two or three folks. It's not gonna be a big deal. We show up and they had to have at least, I don't know, 50 plus people out there watching our demo. What was really interesting, even from that first interaction with them, was just how innovative they are. I think too often people hear stories of the big multi-billion dollar companies being slow moving or stuck in their ways, but that's far, far from the truth when it's come to our interactions with Sunbelt. Everybody was out there and they're like, we see it, we get it. Like This is a beautiful mousetrap you've built. It takes away a lot of liability. It's a lot easier to transport and set up. And it, that was really the chapter one of the story. Um, from there, it was just continuing to build the relationship. So learning more about their other vendors that they've seen good success with, what has been the best strategy you've implemented? How could we as, as Lucid be a better vendor for Sunbelt? Because when we did the demo with them, we hadn't even launched our first third-party cleaning drone customer yet. So we were still really, really early on in our product development and our go-to-market distribution. You know, now that we've signed this relationship and officially launched them this month, we've got customers anywhere from Florida to Texas, out to California, and we've really built a scalable model and distribution network that's actually capable of supporting a company with the size and reputation like Sunbelt because they've got about a thousand locations across the country. So uh, there's a lot of stuff that happened in between, but those are probably the, the big highlights. So hold on a second, Andrew. I go back and I think about Steve Jobs on stage in 2007 with the iPhone, right? And you hear stories that, you know, aspects of the iPhone weren't actually working. It was, um, right, it was um, computer programming that allowed it to do what it was supposed to do, but it wasn't actually doing Um and I sit in there and I think of you in front of 50 people at Sunbelt, you don't have a legitimate drone for that purpose yet. 
are you having flashbacks of, oh gosh, what's going to happen? I mean, cause this is an important demo, right? Or how do you, how do you mentally get through that aspect of it? Or were you confident enough of where it was and you were confident enough that they Ooh. knew what you were doing there, that it wasn't talk about that. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't even real yet. And you're presenting to 50 folks there. I, I think for this specific example, I was able to have a lot more confidence in it because a couple months prior, we started dusting off the cleaning drone to put it back in development. So we'd been doing a lot of testing. And I myself, in the first year of the business, I went out and cleaned 50 plus properties by hand and with a drone. So I'd done a lot of firsthand battle testing. Um, so I, I was very confident in that scenario. And uh, the, the guy on our team who was flying, he's one of the best pilots you'll ever meet. So I'm like, all right, this is going to go okay. I've definitely had those moments where I showed up and I've asked, how is this going to work early on? I'll never forget one back when we were doing the cleaning. We got contracted to clean a parking garage kind of last second. And I was like, huh, never thought about cleaning parking garages with drones, but we could probably do it. So I, I said yes. And then he then let me know, hey, um, by the way, you can only clean after five o'clock once all the cars are out and it needs to be done by the end of the week. And it was already Wednesday. And I was like, great, this is going to go well. Um, so I show up there. It's five. It's February. It's really cold. The sun's pretty much already down at five. And at this time in history, the FAA hadn't yet approved nighttime flying. So I got about two flights in with a drone looked so good. I was like, oh my gosh, like our drones can clean parking garages. It's going better than I could have imagined. And all of a sudden it's dark and there's still, I don't know, 90% left of this parking garage to be clean. So um, what ends up happening is I'm there like leaning over the sides of the rails, trying to clean this parking garage by hand. And at some point in the night, there must've been a leak in the hose I get like cleaning solution on my arm and I don't really notice it until hours later. I end up getting a, a pretty bad chemical burn. So at like two in the morning, I go back to shower it off. And I remember looking in the mirror going, the job's not done yet. So at two in the morning with like chemical burns on my body, I, I drive back out there to finish the job. So we've got a lot of stories where early on we were showing up and we're like, okay, we think this is gonna go well. But then we hit some hiccup like, oh, and you can only start doing it after five o'clock. That's crazy. I love those stories. I remember Rob Cummings talk about some early stories of Deal Cloud where they're running through downtown Atlanta and jumping fences to get from one meeting to the next. Um, <laughs> and how crazy those times are, right? Yeah. Uh, but you go from the chemical burn scenario to I saw a a video that I think y'all posted recently on LinkedIn or Instagram or something like that, um, where you cleaned the Biltmore roof. Um, and that thing looks amazing, man. I mean, you see something like that, you got to think, wow, we're, we're doing it right. That's awesome. Yeah. That one in particular, um, it was just eye opening. It's when you get to really see the product out in a customer's hands, making a really significant impact that you can sit back with a little bit of pride and go like, okay, all those sacrifices have been worth some very beautiful output. And uh, I remember this conversation really vividly. I was talking to our product manager and he recently had a baby girl and he's been really formative and helping us bring this cleaning drone to market. 
he's like, you know, one day I'm going to be on a, a family road trip and we're going to be driving down the highway and we're going to see a drone cleaning a building. And I'm going to get to tell my daughter the story of how I was there and I got to help bring this product to market. And it, little things like that really stick with you because we're we're so like visionary in terms of all we want to do with this technology that we still feel like we're in the earliest innings. But we try to be mindful and stop and look around every now and then and recognize we have come a long way from a, a kid on Davidson's campus zip tying and duct taping pressure washers to drones. Yeah, no, you definitely have. So um, this, um, you're exactly right. I mean, you'll you'll see this thing impacting lives for um, well into the future. Um, talk about you mentioned it earlier the um, the challenges along the way, right? The ability to program the, the, the drone to handle the variability and weight as the, as the yeah. hose goes up in the air. I mean, as you get into some of those close corners with buildings, I would imagine the wind picks up too, from what you would normally see. How, um, how were the, how difficult were those to accomplish, um, along that way? And was it, was it all done in-house or were you using out of yeah. house and how has that transition happened over time? Right. Sure. So to answer the second question first, everything we've done is in-house. That's something that we really focused on is we want to be able to engineer, manufacture, and support this technology domestically because we know that robots are the future. Like it's not a question of if, it's really when and how fast. And there's a lot of data privacy concerns because over 90% of our drones and robots are built internationally. So we want to be viewed as that go-to provider of these responsible robotic platforms that does everything locally. In terms of some of the earliest challenges, I remember when I built the first drone. At first, I'd started by focusing on the mechanical and electrical systems. And I, I buttoned up this drone. I went out to fly it at an open field. And I remember saying, if this doesn't take off, I'm not even going to know where to look yet. Like, I just didn't even know enough. I was still learning. But I'm like, I think I've done everything right. This is the way it should look. This is the way it should be wired. And I go and I, I take off. And I'm used to flying other drones. And I maybe barely press the throttle stick on this thing. And I swear it shoots 100 feet into the air, like snap of the fingers. So at first, I'm kind of smiling. I'm like, oh, I built a pretty powerful drone. That was cool. And then just the, the panic sets in. I'm like, okay, this drone is really, really aggressive on the controls. So I slightly lower the throttle. It like sinks down all the way to 25 feet and snap of the fingers. And it's kind of bobbing up and down as I try to figure out how it's calibrated. And I have, uh, let's call it a rough landing. Nothing broke, but definitely wasn't graceful. And then that's when it set in. I had not yet spent a minute actually programming the flight controller and looking at the software aspect of what makes the drone work well. So I um, I quickly learned my lesson that uh, you've got to look at the, the full suite of engineering when it comes to something like a drone. Um, but there are a couple other moments along the way. Um, one was when I was learning to tune the actual flight controller system. So today the drone is so stable. You could be here at the office. We take it up and hover it for you. We could walk inside, grab some coffee, come back in a couple of minutes. 
this drone's going to maintain its same position down to about centimeter level precision, like incredibly stable hovering. And it's really easy to fly, but it wasn't always that way. So I'm learning to tune the, um, the PID loop on our system. And this is taking me hundreds and hundreds of hours of flying and analyzing data to really get right, especially under the presence of uh, like variable weight with a hose. And I remember I was getting ready to show an investor, like, look at this really stable drone I built. And I was like, I'm going to do one last test, like one last fine tuning. And uh, the way at the time I had to do the fine tuning was enter it into more of a manual mode to, to collect the right data and do some more aggressive inputs. And I was flying near the lake this day. And all of a sudden, this giant breeze comes out of nowhere. It's in the manual mode. So it's not focused on maintaining its position. I don't think I had the right depth perception or something. Fast forward five minutes and I'm climbing a tree to get drone parts out of it. <laughs> so uh, I, I'm happy to say like surprisingly, I was able to put everything back together, but this was like the moment where I'm like, okay, we're ready to show it to someone. And it went so close from let's show it to someone to now I've got to go fix it really quickly. Yeah. Hey, let me show you all the pieces. Like when I put them together, I promise it looks really, really neat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so you've, you know, I mean, you've obviously had your hands in every aspect of the business from, from day one to learn it and understand what it needs to do and how it needs to grow and do the different things that you want it to accomplish. What was your first hire? So our first hire was a mechanical engineer, Jeremy, and he's still with us to this day. And we knew that's where we needed to get it right at the start. And it's funny because in the, in the startup world, people are always like, oh, software is everything. And I agree, software is very important. But for an application like ours, software is as only good as the hardware and electrical systems it sits on top of. Like if I've got the most amazing autonomous software navigation in the world, and my electrical system fails 10% of the time, I've got a really bad product. So we really knew we wanted to focus more on the, the mechanical and electrical side early on. And that was undoubtedly the right decision for us. So that makes a lot of sense. So sales are every, mm -hmm. the lifeblood of any good organization, or I guess even any bad organization. Um, and to your point, you kind of, got sidetracked by being or coming to life during the middle of a pandemic. How, um, how do you sell over the course of the, I mean, really 2020 and 2021, right. Um, to, I would imagine some, some folks out there that maybe aren't the most welcoming to change. So how did you develop your sales pitch? How did you start to target folks? How did you demonstrate? How sure. did you do all that? How'd you pull all that together? So the way I think about it is people, product, process. And the first part of that equation is people. So around that time, we brought on Scott, who's our COO and oversees our sales and marketing strategy. And he comes from a really decorated background where he worked at United Rentals and really learned how to effectively sell into this space, but also train other people to sell into this space. So like we went out and we got the guy, right? And he helped us write and build a lot of our early playbook. Um, the second part of that equation for us is a product. 
for us, it is so visually powerful that when we actually do an in-person demo and we can put this controller in someone's hands and they can see, oh, wow, I could clean this roof in 10% of the time it used to take me. It's a lot easier to show someone than to tell someone, especially when you're trying to introduce, let's call it frontier technology into an old school industry. And then the, the third one is process. Once you figure out what works, how do you document that process and then delegate it and scale it to other people? So it's a very overly simplistic way to say it, but early on, we got a lot of our sales by hustling hard, doing in-person demos, and really getting to know these people, getting to know these companies. Now we're at the point where a pretty like traditional sales and marketing effort, we do a lot on social media. Our marketing is very much a data science project at this point in terms of what we're looking at, what we're tweaking. And then we've got um, an internal sales team that guides our customers through the sales funnel as well. Uh, free product demo in the sales channel these days? Are you shipping out drones <laughs> to fun, or how does how does that work? Right? No. So today we, we don't do as many demos. Um, if customers want to come visit us in Charlotte, we're more open minded to entertain demos. But we uh, we had to do a lot more traveling early on just to get that initial momentum. But now through Sunbelt, though, people could go and rent a drone for a day, a week, a month and do a, let's call it a limited trial demo with the drone. And then if they love it, maybe they want to just keep renting it on these shorter term horizons, or maybe they've got so much demand for cleaning, they want to come to us to actually own the technology. How would it do clean in a two-story house in South Charlotte? <laughs> it would do very well. What, what kind of roof do you have? A brand new one. <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, we just need, we need the sides clean. Yet. Yeah, we need the sides clean. Okay. <laughs> I, th I think I know a guy or two that could help you out. There you go. I like it. I need a lot of help. Um, but I noticed earlier, you've got a ring on your fingers. So um, in the process of building a company, graduate from college, living through a pandemic, you happen to get married to somebody that supported your craziness. How did that go? Yeah. So the, the nice thing is she knew what she was signing up for. We've been together since high school. Um I always joke, she went to the second best D school in the state. She went to Duke, so she's a Dukey. Um, but she's always known like this very central fact about me that I'm insatiably curious. And I'm a bit of a risk taker when it comes to radical ideas. So none of this was a surprise to her. But I, I really think having such a supportive partner through this journey is what's buoyed me through some of those most challenging, darkest moments. Because again, I... I finished school after my junior year. So I left my senior year behind. That's when a lot of college kids are having their best year and the most amount of fun, whatever you want to call it. And I'm a broke startup entrepreneur fasting for days, trying to learn to build a drone with my liberal arts degree. But because I had someone like her who, who knew me, knew what I was capable of and saw the potential, I always had that, that support system which made it a lot easier because I know many people aren't as fortunate. They might have their family doubting them or their significant other doubting them. And I was just blessed that at every step along the way, everybody like kind of looked at me, they're like, huh, that's an interesting idea. You could probably figure it out as opposed to going like, Andrew, what the hell are you thinking? Like, 
but how are you going to figure this out? It was a, a much different conversation for me because of the people I'm fortunate to have in my life. One of the big challenges that a lot of startup founders run into along the path is fundraising, right? Um, y'all have raised capital along the way too? Yes. Yeah. Um, so talk about that process for y'all, how um, other than the the demo that you flew into the tree, um, the, the rest of the, the rest of the process, hopefully it went better than that. I, at times, yes, at times it's all almost been as hard as, uh, climbing a tree. And I think it's similar to what I was talking about earlier. Early on, it was so difficult because we had very few proof points, right? Like, a lot of early stage investing is you're actually betting on the founder. So like, do I believe this person is capable of doing what they say they're going to do? And I'll be very honest looking at my, let's call it resume. Here I am, econ and Spanish major. Okay. Like, yeah, you've done some interesting internships in the startup world, whatnot, but you're going to go and found a robotics company. Like that's a pretty tough sell. Right. And I remember the, the summer after I finished college, I'm still learning to clean. I think I was down to like $42 in our business account because <laughs> we're spending so much trying to learn how to, to continue to improve the product. And I got invited to fly to Chicago to pitch an investor. And I was like, well, $42 isn't going to get me to Chicago. So I went door knocking to try to get houses to clean Finally got one, did a bunch of different services. Maybe we charged them like 600 bucks at the time. And I got enough money to fly to Chicago and pitch who ended up becoming our, our first investor. And I, I'll never forget that because it was the week before all my friends were going back to college. There was literally less than $100 in our bank account. And I'm like, what's, what's going to happen if we don't figure this out? Um, so we ended up raising uh, like a pre-seed angel round and then uh, use that to build out the early technology, get some more traction, show that we could do what we said we were setting out to do. And that's when we got into Y Combinator, which helped us build a really good network and platform. And coming out of Y Combinator, that was probably the easiest round we've raised just because it was a good time in the market. There was a lot of competition with a ton of investors looking at the company. Um, but from there, you know, it's continued to be difficult at each stage because you're kind of raising the bar. At first, it's can you build a product? Then it's can you get a customer? Now, can you show that you can scale and keep those customers happy? Now, can you show that this really is a billion plus dollar company potential? And especially right now, when the market's as tough as it is, you've just got to be really thorough in your process. So I've got a, a CRM where I've been building relationships with different investors and venture capitalists for the last two to three years on some occasions. And I'll do regular check-ins with them. And really what I'm trying to do is just, one, get to know them, make sure they're going to be a good partner for the company. But two, I want to make sure they get to know me too, because one of the biggest things I do in these check-ins is I talk about the recent company updates. And then I tell them what we're going to do next. So every time I'm following up, I'm just building up more and more proof of, hey, we're going to do what we say we're going to do. And you should really get on board because you don't want to miss out. So that's more or less been our fundraising journey to date. Um, 
we're currently looking at raising our next round and gearing up for that process as well. So I always say if you're a startup that's on the, the venture back path and you plan on raising capital, in a way you're always raising because you're always building those relationships and telling your story. Andrew, on the fundraising part, from raising that first round to to raising the second round or the third round, right? What, I guess we'll go back. What made that pitch with the first guy in Chicago or the first person in Chicago, what made that successful? With the first pitch, it was so personal. Um, I could really tell this investor believed in me. I could have been there selling cookies and I think he might've bought it. Um, but I, it, to this day, this investor is a tremendous mentor for me, and I go to him very frequently for advice, and I think in ways he might have seen um, himself in his younger years and in, in me and some of my values and the way I was going about the business. But again, the, at the time, the pitch deck was lackluster. The plan was still in the early phases of being shaped out, but I just had a lot of conviction. I had a lot of enthusiasm. And I could tell that he was making a bet on me, not a bet on Lucid at that time in the company. So would you pull forward from that to future fundraises and future successes and failures, right? I'm sure at least one or two people told you no along the way. So I, I think one of the biggest things I've learned is even at these later stages, it's the relationship that really matters. And they want to know who is the entrepreneur behind the business. So the, Early on, maybe in like the second and third rounds of fundraising, I'd still just be a little bit more like, here's a company, here's what we're doing, here's a playbook, and just be very heads down on it. But I, I found a lot more success when I take the time to explain my background, maybe share some of these very early stories of the company where I'm not trying to say like, oh, I'm great because of X, Y, or Z reason. I'm just telling a, a story and letting them kind of derive their own conclusions on the type of founder I am and the type of person they would be working with. And then when I tie it into the company vision and all that we're doing, I think it hits a lot better because they feel like they're getting to know me as opposed to just hearing a business presentation, because we've all sat through those business presentations where somebody PowerPoints you to death and you kind of glossed over at slide two. I'm glad you said slide two and not slide 10. I feel a lot better about myself. Oh, <laughs> uh, so, um, so as we kind of start to wrap up, I mean, so you go through the pandemic, which is just a complete and utter mess, right? You come out of that, 2021 feels a little bit better. Um, everything's all systems go. Um, and now we've got all we've got all kinds of other issues out there, right? I mean, I don't know. Were y'all hit by chips and um shortfalls and chips for how do you all of a sudden you're in supply chain management, right? Um, so how have you navigated now? And then how do you see, how do you see the company growing over the course of the next two to three years? Yeah. So specifically speaking to that one point, by being the full stack technology provider, we're in a pretty unique position where even in the cases that the supply on a certain component runs out, we can be very flexible in specking in different components and systems in order to integrate with our drone. So that's one real advantage of the way we've set up our technology stack and production line is that ability to interchange parts fairly seamlessly. 
In terms of where we see ourselves going in the next two to three years, the biggest focus for us is really scaling and saturating the cleaning market. There are over 86,000 companies in the United States alone that focus on exterior cleaning. But since we started the company, over half of our website forms for interest have come internationally. So this is by no means just a domestic problem. And we want to be excellent at building drones that clean buildings and distributing that first. But what we're really focused on, too, on the product side is continuing to improve the intelligence and sophistication of our platform, where we're making this very modular, easier to put different components or top hats, as we like to call them on it, so that you can do more than just clean with the buildings. In two to three years, we want our customers to be able to paint with our drones, apply sealants, spray agricultural pesticides, do delivery, and a whole host of other things with this one central platform. That's pretty cool. Um, that's uh, I'm thinking about the agricultural applications of it. Um, the The cool place about where you sit right now from from the world that we are in is, you know, we talk about labor shortages in in the world. How much do y'all in your presentation kind of lean on that, right? That, hey, look, we're solving a core need of so many companies right now that what used to take two or three days can take one hours, right? Y'all, are y'all really leaning into the inflation labor shortage um, in your pitch and um, and do you view that as a key differentiator over the course of the next two to five years as well, right? This labor shortage is not going away. Yeah, it's a great question. And yes, we do lean into it. It's a big part of our, our why now story. Um, what we'll sometimes hear is that we'll talk to a cleaning company and they'll say, oh, John's been cleaning my windows for decades and he's fantastic. He's the best worker I've ever had and he's excellent. And John's 60 now. And then I'll ask, and what does John's son want to do? And it's never that job because it really is um, an aging population in many of these service-based industries. And they just can't find enough people willing to do the work. So it's a very, very strong part of reality that we need to address. But on the other side of it, being a bit more abstract, what makes us distinctly human isn't our ability to perform a physical task repetitively. Many creatures can do that. What makes us distinctly human is our ability to be creative and problem solve. So what we've seen for our customers is they can now take these great workers they have, and if they're now able to do a job in half the time, that great worker can spend the other half of the time solving more meaningful problems for that business. And I think this is one of the biggest flaws of, especially the startup world today. We need more people solving meaningful problems. We don't need another social media or radical NFT project spinning out. We need people that are focused on solving the biggest problems that afflict humanity, whether that be hunger, homelessness, happiness, human safety, the list goes on. And by introducing robotics into these essential service-based industries like cleaning and maintenance, we can now take more of our human capital talent to address more of these fundamental problems that still plague humanity. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. So um, that's an awesome way to start to kind of wrap up the the conversation today. So, um, I mean, it's, you know, it's been really neat to, I remember I was, I, I 
99% sure I was at that pitch that you won at at Davidson. I went up to Davidson twice and watched those two, uh, or watched a couple of those pitches back in the day. So it's, it's neat to see. Um, how neat has it been to see, kind of as we wrap up, the the technology around you, the startups and Davidson starting to pick up, right? It's kind of, um, you've got some folks to bang heads against from time to time with problem solving, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I was going to say it's been incredibly exciting to see the local ecosystem continue to build. When people ask, like, why'd you headquarter the company in North Carolina? It's a pretty easy answer for me now. Like the amount of technical talent here because of all the amazing universities, you've got a lot of great businesses being built, still low cost of living, like beautiful lakes surrounding us, um, lots of things to celebrate, but also specifically for us the NASCAR industry is in our backyard, right? And a lot of the problems you got to solve in NASCAR of how do I reduce vibrations? How do I make things lighter? Those are similar problems to what you would face on a drone. So we've been able to lean a lot on the power of that network that's already so ingrained and established in our community to get a lot faster than we would have without that community. Oh, faster. No pun intended there, huh? Oh, I love it. (laughs) Great cheesy way to end. So, um, no, man, it's, um, you know, to have y'all up in Davidson and the Charlotte community and be such a, an, an awesome part of the startup. And now, I mean, not just startup, right. Kind of the business community here in Charlotte, it's a really awesome thing to see. And you are right. Being up there with some of that technology around, I mean, there's a lot of technology that goes into NASCAR that people don't think about. So y'all are in an awesome spot. You've done a phenomenal job of getting the business to where it is. Um, you probably don't get an opportunity to sit around and pat yourself on the back very often, Andrew, but you should do it. So um, that is, you know, really, really enjoyed having you on the show and listening to your story and hearing about some of your struggles as, as well as the successes that came as a result of those struggles. So thanks so much for carving out some time for us today. I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, likewise. I appreciate you having me on and thanks for the opportunity to share our story. skill or training. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Portis Wealth Advisors. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Portis Wealth Advisors does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance. Investments described herein may be speculative and may involve a substantial risk of loss. Interest may be offered only to persons who qualified as accredited investors under applicable state and federal regulation or an eligible employee of the management company. There generally is no public market for the interest. Prospective investors should particularly note that many factors affect performance, including changes in the market conditions and interest rates and other economic, political, or financial developments. Past performance is not and should not be construed as indicative of future results.